just want to do God's will. The kind of revolution that the world needs is a Christian revolution. If you want a miracle, you've got to expect it to happen. You are the recipients of God's grace and God's blessings, and you rejoice in that reality. Welcome to Life Today Live. Randy Robinson here, and I'm glad you're with me. I'm glad you're with me online because that's where the live Life Today Live is. We've got the broadcast show over on the networks, but the live is here on the internet. So you can watch it wherever you want, with whatever you want. The internet's great for that. What it's not real great for are conversations, I have noticed, at least in my experience. It tends to be real hard to have meaningful you know, dialogue, especially with strangers, especially on certain topics. You know how it is. In fact, you kind of, if you just watch the internet, you think, man, can anybody have a real conversation anymore? And I think it's a fair question. Uh, and you know what? I think as normal people, but especially as Christians, we should be good at having good, healthy conversations. Well, today we're going to talk about six conversations that you should be good at. You could be good at, and it would help you. Uh, connect with people, not just divide, which is we just the division in today's society. Yeah, you know, you know how it is. The name of the book we're talking around is The Six Conversations. So if you want to follow up with this, that book by Heather Holliman is available right now. And Heather is with me. She's taking uh, just a few minutes off from her associate teaching uh, at Penn State uh, to talk to you today. So appreciate you guys being here watching, whether you're live or in the replay. And Heather, great to have you on Life Today Live. Thank you for having me. This is going to be a great conversation. <laughs> well, I hope so, because yes. if we can't have a great conversation, we've completely failed and not <laughs> set a good right. example for the rest of the world. No. And, you know, I'm, I'm in my intro, yeah, do, do you, have, you, have you seen this? Because, I mean, you're, um, yes. you've been around long enough to see. It feels like we just the Internet's done a lot of great things. I'm, I love it. But it's like it feels like it's degraded our ability to talk to each other. Exactly. And as a college professor, I was so concerned about, you know, this rise of incivility. But even more, Randy, I was concerned about the epidemic of loneliness that's really resulted mm -hmm. from the way we communicate with each other. So I was looking at health studies and all the social science research about what's happening to us, to our mental health, to our spiritual lives as we continue to live these isolated lives where we don't know how to have warm and loving connections. I mean, is, I, I hear about that. I don't yes. live there, you know, I, so I kind of go, uh, I mean, is this how, how widespread is this? Well, I looked at the Cigna Health study of 20,000 U.S. adults and over half the population is reporting that they always feel alone and never have meaningful conversations. This wow. increased after COVID. Harvard reported 60 percent of the population was reporting feelings of loneliness. And of course, the Surgeon General just this summer released the call to action about the chronic health problems that come from loneliness. And he's asking us, look, you need to connect. Social connection is the answer to so many things. Loneliness is like smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It's how bad that's how bad it is for your health. It's increasing your risk of premature death by 29%. So even if you're not interested in what I care about, spiritual conversations, you could think about having better conversations for your health. So this is this is a big deal. You might not struggle with this because you're a really good conversationalist, Randy. I already feel connected to you. You're really good at this. But a lot of people are deficient, especially young people, Generation Z, 
the college students I teach. They're really wanting to reclaim the art of loving connection. I, I, I think there's a couple of other things in that. One is that I'm, I'm getting older, and so I'm, I'm less, I have less of a need for certain things that I used to when I was young, when you're in the formative years. So, I mean, that, that's valid. And also, I, I am a little bit of a, a loner at heart, believe it or not. I mean, I don't avoid social situations. I enjoy them. But yet, I also, I like solitude. Uh, right. What, it helps, I think it's good for my health. What's the difference between solitude and loneliness? Well, let me say, Randy, in my research, what I would say is you probably do have warm and meaningful connections, which means that when you enjoy times of solitude, it's refreshing, it's joyful. You know that you have well-bonded relationships. Loneliness is that feeling that I have no warm connections with people. Nobody knows who I am. Nobody knows what I care about. Nobody knows me. So I am mm. deeply concerned about this, not just on the college campus, but the passion of my heart is really to tell people about Jesus. And a lot of people don't even know how to begin conversations in general, much less talk about the things they care most about, which is their faith, their relationship with the Lord mm-hmm. to a hurting world that really needs the love of God. So I, this is something that I really care deeply about and spend most of my time thinking about. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. And, and I, I totally can see that because you're right. Um, I, I do have great connections and I can start a conversation with anybody. I went to, <laughs> yes. I had a trip scheduled to Africa for, for work for our mission outreaches. And when we connect through London, I'm always like, Hey, can I, instead of connecting, you know, six hours apart, can like I don't know, six days, 10 days. Some, and I go over to Ireland and, um, I just, my wife's like, what do you, how do you do that alone? And I'm like, what do you mean? I talk to people everywhere. And I have great conversations, and it's it's just it's a lot of fun. And so, yeah, there is a, a healthy aspect to being able to have the conversations, and then yeah, I, I'll I'll go away and I'll just be by myself, and and that's great too, mm-hmm. you know. And so I I, I hear you. I, it it hurts me that people would think that they are completely invisible, alone. Uh, nobody cares about them. Nobody knows about them, especially if you're a Christian. So my right. question is, do you actually see this in the church quite a bit? Well, I do. In fact, a lot of the training that my husband Ash and I do, it we go into churches and we help them re, you know, restore this idea of warm and loving connections because mm. it's what leads to gospel conversations. And we also care a lot about repairing damaged relationships from the political and social climate that's really ripped uh, families apart. We also talk a lot about intergenerational conversations. A lot of grandparents say, okay, I'm going to go visit my grandchild. Can you give me some tips on how to have a really good conversation? Teenagers, a lot of parents want to know, how can I talk to my teen? So I'm seeing this in the church, and we actually love doing our conversation workshop and helping church members really begin to—they'll never get lost starting or continuing— a conversation again, but it really, it actually is not the basic skills that you're thinking. The book talks a lot about the mindsets that you need in order to have a warm connection with someone. You're naturally good at that, Randy. Most people don't have the four mindsets that they need. Okay. Well, let's get into let's it. it. Let's get into the six conversations, which again, there's the book. So you recognize it. Um, start me out here. Give me all, all the right. path to a good conversation. Here is the path. The first thing you need are what the social science research calls the four mindsets. And what's wonderful about them is they've already been taught to us in scripture. So as I'm saying these, those of you listening are probably like, I've heard this before. This is Philippians 2. This is Romans 12. This is Galatians 6. 
The four mindsets in every interaction, you need to be curious, believe the best, express concern, and share your life. Most people are deficient in one of those areas, and it really becomes a a great opportunity for discipleship and maturity. So when I talk to my students, I say, okay, how many of you were on a date and the guy didn't ask you one question about your life? (laughs) Or how many of you went home for Thanksgiving, your parents didn't ask you one meaningful question about college? That is interpersonal curiosity, the art of being curious about other people. And the book gives you six ways, six pathways to be curious about other people, six kinds of conversations you can have. The second mindset, believing the best. Hang on, I gotta gotta interrupt Yeah, interrupt. Because um, here's, here's, well, a couple things I I know. One, just learning from this is that if you wanna get someone to talk, ask them about themselves. Because people generally like to talk about themselves or their lives or experience. Uh, and asking questions is, is a wonderful way, but here's, here's a little bit of the, the handicap that people walk into with. They don't care about other people as much as you would like to think that most people do, or that even people think they do on their own. That's right. Is that an obstacle that people have to get over? It is. That's why Philippians two is deeply convicting because Paul says, not only to value other people above yourselves, but to take on the interests of other people. Mm. Galatians 6 says to carry each other's burdens. Randy, I was talking to a professor about these four mindsets, and he literally said to me, well, I know my problem. I know why I can't connect with people. I just don't care about them. I don't want to know about their lives. But when I read even Romans 12 about, um, you know, really blessing other people out, do you want to know it? one another and showing honor, I thought to myself, I am not living this way. I'm becoming more self-involved, more self-obsessed. So it really became an area of Christian maturity to me to ask good questions, to honor other people, and to discover what Paul says, take on the interest of other people. So once you're curious about other people, you'll be amazed at what happens. And those of you who still aren't convinced, the research is clear. Curious people are happier they're more creative, they're healthier, their marriages are stronger. They call it the secret sauce of relationships, being curious. That's interesting. And it is something you can learn. It is. There's six ways in this book. You'll never get lost again. I give you six ways to be curious about other people, which I can tell you now, if you'd like to know, those of you who are like, don't wait, tell me the six pathways. Well, at least give give me one or two. Well, the six ways to be curious about other people, most people ask questions in the emotional category, and there are six dimensions of what it means to be human. You're social, physical, emotional, cognitive, meaning you're thinking things, volitional, and spiritual. Most people would say, like, if I met you, Randy, I'd say, how are you? Well, that's a, first of all, that's a weak existential verb. (laughs) Nobody answers that question. But I could actually ask questions in six categories of what it means to be human. So I could say, Randy, I'm so glad to meet you. I'd love to hear about your friends. Tell me about your family. Those are social questions. Mm, Physical questions are, Randy, tell me about your house. Are you guys doing any home improvement projects or are you a gardener or you're in Dallas? Tell me about any restaurants, the the whole, the whole gamut of what it means to be a physical person. Mm. Think about cognitive. This is my favorite category. It means that I could say, Randy, instead of saying, how are you? 
I could say, Randy, I love that we're becoming friends. I just want to know, what have you been thinking about today? That's my favorite question as an academic. <laughs> Volitional is about human choices. So like you're you're wearing this wonderful shirt, for example. I could say, Randy, I love that color shirt. Tell me the story. How'd you decide to buy that shirt? People often have stories behind their clothing and they love to talk about them. Spiritual is my favorite. It's just, you know, it's hard to start in that category. But if if it's around a holiday, I'll say, hey, I, I love that I've run into you. Do you guys have any special spiritual rituals around this holiday? Mm. So six pathways and then endless combinations. Once you're in a category, you can ask so many follow-up questions based on those six categories. So if I said, did you go to the game this weekend? Because all of us love to talk about sports. And you say, yeah, I went to the football game. A lot of people get stuck. They don't know how to have a warm connection. But I could do a social question. Who'd you go with? Who'd you decide to go with? You know, a physical question. Hey, how'd your body handle sitting on the bleachers? Things like that. <laughs> Randy, the, it is such an easy book to read. It's so practical. And it really has changed the lives of so many people, students in particular, love this as their number one professional development skill. So you're curious. That's the first mindset. Yeah, I, I will say that that I've tried the cognitive question with my wife and it completely fails. I think maybe tone had something to do with it because <laughs> what, what are, are you thinking, thinking doesn't yes. work. Yes. <laughs> well, that's why Gary Chapman wrote the foreword to this book, because it's like a love language. Mm to figure out what people like to talk about. I told you I love it when you say, Heather, what have you been thinking about? But my husband loves physical processes. Like if I said, okay, tell me what your new plan is for this you know, project you're doing, or do you have any new work systems in place? <laughs> so mean? it's like a love language to figure out what people like to talk about. So curiosity, you've got six ways to be curious about people. And this is going to help you around the family dinner table, oh, yeah. around the corporate boardroom setting. It's going to help you anytime you have to interact with someone. Oh yeah, no, I mean that. I mean, if we just close the interview right now, you're you done. Will, you, you got everything well, you need. <laughs> you you will help people tremendously because yes. that is yes. huge. Is your husband an engineer, by the way? He is an organic chemist, and so uh, and and he's sort of proof of concept for the book because he's an introvert who doesn't like to think on his feet, and he's like you. He enjoys his solitude. <laughs> Ever since we wrote this book, he is the one talking for three hours on the plane <laughs> with a guy who's, you know, he's getting invitations to go out. He We went to dinner last night. He asked the best questions, and this couple just, you know, we were all beaming. We just love to be together, that warm connection, just by having good questions in all categories of what it means to be human. Yeah, and, you know, here's... Here's, here's the thing about just that, and, and I know I will get as far as we can on the other, other things. Yeah. But just that right there. Okay. So on the train from London to Wales and then the, well, okay, a guy sat across from me, completely polar opposite politically. He was yes. literally coming, going to Dublin from, after giving a speech on global warming. And okay. I have certain feelings. I mean, I love clean air, clean water, but the whole global warming thing, I don't buy into it. And I didn't go there. I asked him other questions like you're talking about. Right. Spark conversation. We ended up having a great conversation. We got on the ferry from Hollyhead to Dublin and we actually hung out together. We ate dinner on the ferry together. Are you uh, serious? We watched each other's stuff while someone went to the restroom kind of thing. We talked all the way on the ferry, which is like three hours. And then when we get to Dublin, one, I invited him because I was going to go to uh, a hurling match. I ended up going to Irish football, which is fabulous, Croke Park. Um, but I was like, hey, if I can get two tickets, do you want to go? And he wasn't able to go. It was his son's birthday, but he appreciated it. Yeah. He gave me some recommendations on some places where I hadn't been that I was going. 
and he offered me a ride from the ferry station. He took me to my hotel in Dublin. I'm telling you. Right? Randy, actually, you were curious, but you know what you did that allowed that warm connection? Do you know what you did? Mm-mm. You believe the best about him. Yeah. You did not judge him for his views on global warming. Now, a huge part of this book is what it means to believe the best about people. You mm. positioned yourself as a humble learner. He could teach you something. You you decided to give what researchers call unconditional positive regard. Now, did, yeah. if you did want to talk about global warming, because obviously, like in my neighborhood, we all have different political positions. My best tip for you to show that you believe the best is to say to your friend, Look, I can tell you care so deeply about global warming. I would love to know the story of when you first started caring about that issue. That's a great question. Then you're in the realm of storytelling and narrative and out of the realm of argument, which means you can have a really warm connection with someone. So you never have to be afraid of political controversy again. And again, I'm in a neighborhood and I'm also an academic on the college campus. So this is stuff I can tell you. I'm using it every day to form warm connections with people that are completely different from me. And it works when you have that attitude of, I'm going to believe the best. It really is enacting Romans 12. There's no condition on who we're supposed to, to, to serve in Romans 12. You outdo one another in showing honor. Remember, you value others above yourself. And it even says to bless those who you consider to be your enemies. And it it is a game changer for me to believe the best. And you're going to love that mindset. That's what you did. And I think your friend could tell that about you, which is why he wanted to spend more time with you. Well, and even if you don't believe the best about someone, because we all meet people where we think, okay, you can choose to look for the good. Exactly. And if that means avoiding yep. certain topics, just avoid those, you know? Um, right. He even said, oh, you probably don't believe that. And I just kind of smiled and then moved on, you know? I mean. Exactly. Th- th- Exa- I love that. Exactly. And to position yourself as a learner, a humble learner. I can learn from you. Teach me something because I don't know about this. And I haven't, you know, maybe you could even say I, my mind is pretty made up on this, but I'd love to learn more. Position yourself as a humble learner, especially teenagers they can tell if you are judging them and suspicious of them. So I had to really grow in realizing that everyone makes, they operate out of their core values. Just identify what those values are and realize you don't have to judge them. Just get to know them, love them. So you're curious, you're going to believe the best. The next mindset is to express concern. And this just means the research term is where you're mutually invested in someone's life. And it means you just know a couple of things. What are their major stressors? What's their next biggest decision they're trying to make? And maybe what thought is keeping them up at night? Just little things to know about people where you can live out Galatians 6, carry each other's burdens. I love doing that with my students. We'll have an attendance question. We'll all say, what's your what's your biggest stressor this week? And then the next week I'll ask about it. They feel so warmly connected when I say, hey, how was that? How did it go with your fraternity rush? Or how did that exam in physics go? Or I know your mom was going in for a medical test. How did it go? Simple things. And last one, share your life. I know. What are you going to say? I'm going to ask you about the share your life because I wanted to get there. But do you have to write these things down? Because I can ask. I I don't always remember them. I'm getting older, Randy. I don't remember everything. I do like the notes app in my phone. 
and I do write down notes and I keep a prayer journal and my students know I keep a very detailed prayer journal when they tell me their stressors. And even my atheist students will say, Dr. H, you know, I'm an atheist, but please put this in your prayer journal. So I do write down things, especially if it's a medical thing or something, but yeah, express concern. You don't have to take on everyone's, you know, problems, but scripture says to carry each other's burdens, take Mm -hmm. on each other's interests. So, mm mm-hmm. Well, yeah, um, this is really this is really helpful. I mean, OK, let's hit well, the last it's help- one. It, yes. The last one is share your life because, Randy, you know this. You can be curious, believe the best and express concern. But if you don't share your life, that's not a conversation. That's an interview. Right. <laughs> right. So for us to have a warm connection, I would need to you would need to share your life with me and I would need to share my life with you. But it's not hard. It's just being self-aware enough So you, if I were to say, well, Randy, what about you? Like, do you have any big decisions coming up or stressors? But then when you say, what about you, Heather, what's going on? I need to be self-aware enough where I'm able to say, yeah, this is something that's going on with me, but it doesn't have to be negative. I could share something I'm celebrating, but just know it's time to share your life. A lot of people don't do that. They're too guarded or they don't know how to share their life. So believe the best, express concern, share your life. Once you're curious in those six ways and you get these mindsets down, Research says you're going to have what's called interpersonal closeness. People will feel close to you. You're helping your mental and physical and spiritual health just by enacting those mindsets. And then you can launch in to the six conversation pathways. I have one question on that because all of us know someone who will wear you out talking about themselves all the time or everything's about them. And it's usually about their problems. And that is exhausting. So how do we share our lives without sounding conceited, self-absorbed, complaining if they are difficult things? Uh, because there's surely, I mean, that's, you don't want to go to that extreme. There's, there's the that's hiding right. yourself, never opening up, you know, right. and then there's the just beating people down with me, me, me. Well, one thing is I talk in the book about, you know, being aware of conversational turn taking. I encourage people who talk too much to maybe practice setting a timer for two minutes. The other thing is, is to talk about for some people. (laughs) Right. And then people laugh. This is actually the number one question I've been getting in interviews and workshops. Randy is what do I do if I'm asking all the questions and the person's just going on and on about all their problems? Well, two things tell people, look, I'm really trying to grow in the art of conversation. And I've loved asking you great questions. I can't wait to see what question you're going to ask me next. (laughs) Now, usually they'll say they'll be like, they'll shock, they're shocked. They didn't realize, oh yeah, I don't ask any questions. I'm terrible at conversation. (laughs) That's the first thing that you can do. The second thing you can do is actually tell people it's very loving to give feedback, to say, hey, We've been talking a long time and I've really experienced you as as needing to complain and vent, but it's kind of going on a long time. Do you mean to come off that way? Like, are you meaning to drain? You know, you just tell people how you're experiencing them in a loving way. And I've done that with friends. I've said, look, I experience you as kind of gossiping all the time. Do you mean to come off that way? And she'll say, oh, my gosh, I didn't realize I was doing that. I mean, I'm really learning that people love honesty and it helps build the warm connection. So. The other thing that I love about the research is the three things that you can do as you end a conversation, and that will help you if someone's just complaining. The three things that that really make a conversation wonderful is to end in encouragement, mm. helping people grow, or leading to a state of marveling. 
if you can get someone complaining to understand marveling, you are going to make them so joyful. The research shows that people who are in a state of awe or marveling are less lonely, less depressed, and less anxious. How do you help someone marvel? Point out divine activity. Like, oh, that doesn't seem like a coincidence to me, what you're talking about. That seems like God is there. Or or, or look at something beautiful in nature, even something going on in the news. So really quickly, you're going to become the type of person that people want to spend time with. Your professional life is going to thrive. You're going to love being with your family because you're someone that's encouraging them, helping them in their goals, or leading them to a state of marvel. Now, those of you who know your Bible, that comes straight out of what you read in the Bible, Ephesians, Hebrews, the idea of spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. What about this? Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but Mm. only what is helpful for building people up according to their needs. So I do have some complainers in my life, but they know they're complainers and we're working on it together. Because <laughs> you told, see, you're up north where you can be a lot more direct and it doesn't That's true. Uh, down south, we have a real problem sometimes. I, I've literally heard someone say they prefer, someone from outside the country, say, you know, I really appreciated living up north because they were direct. And I grew up and I'm like, oh, all New Yorkers are rude, right? But he pointed out that, you know, they say what they mean, whereas down here yes. where I'm from, sometimes we, we'll candy coat things, and that's not honest, and it's not helpful. So, Right, and if you want to build a warm and loving connection with someone, it's good to say, you can even say pe- to people, I'm really sensitive to complaining. It brings me down, so let's let's talk in some joyful ways right now. <laughs> I don't know. You can tell I've really been trying to grow in the area of honesty with my friends, and it's going well, so... Yes, New Yorkers. We, you know, I'm up in Pennsylvania, Center right. County. Yeah, we can we can be rude. <laughs> well, but it's I, I did learn in college that it's not always rudeness. I mean, sometimes it's just being direct, which is it's direct, actually very yeah. helpful in conversation. That's and right. So there are some cultural issues that we have to work through in our conversations. Uh, but That's these, right. These guides you've laid out are very helpful. I want to show people your website real quick. This is heatherholliman.com. Uh, if you want to follow up with her, and of course. The book is available now. It's called The Six Conversations. And wow, I mean, I know this interview was very helpful for a lot of you, but some of you need to pick up the book as a reminder and also for the depth to go into it. Because seriously, this is like, this is a big deal, especially as people get worse at it in culture. You can be good at it and you will enjoy relationships a lot more than you do now so anything you want to add thank you so much for, for taking no the time i think today. you said it all this is a very easy book it's it's well researched but it's not academic any you know high schoolers love it um it's a great gift to give to people who are trying to develop professionally as well and there's assessment questions and there's a bunch of free resources on heatherholloman.com you can download some free material related to the book very good and of course there's a test at the end you're a professor <laughs> assessments no. it just yeah, little evaluations but you do get my list of 100 favorite questions to ask college students i give you my 100 favorite questions randy that's worth its weight in gold my favorite awesome. question to ask a college student is what has been your favorite way to procrastinate <gasps> they love that question i've learned more about stress baking and people building endless spotify playlists it's a great ask your son tonight at the birthday party how have you been procrastinating oh. and see what he says email me later yeah oh i i could answer that question but i won't because we're out of time look at we're the out of time Randy. i mean okay. the music's playing and we're out of here 
Thank you guys for being with us. Thank you. Share this conversation with somebody with the share button. If you didn't like, follow, or subscribe, do that now. And do check out The Six Conversations. It will really, really help you. We'll see you again next time here on Live Today Live. You're the fruit. Exports.